Welcome to episode 110 of the Knit British Podcast. This podcast is all about my trip to the North Atlantic Sheep and Wool Conference, which was held in Uist in September. I was asked to speak at the North Atlantic Sheep and Wool Conference. Let's shorten that to Nan's Wool, (laughs) because it's a bit of a mouthful. And it was my pleasure to talk at the conference, but it was also wonderful to return to Uist. Listeners may recall my trip to Uist Wool Mill in May last year, and a special two-part episode episode 89 for those of you uh, yet to listen that will be a lovely prequel to this episode so perhaps you may wish to listen to that one um, as well. That particular trip last year really stayed with me for a long time and I know that this trip will stay with me too. Nan's Rule was started by Karen Flatois Farsted uh, from Norway. She is a fibre artist and a self-confessed woolly lady and she established the conference to promote and encourage uh, quotes Viking breeds of sheep uh, in the North Atlantic uh, from the breed group which is the Northern European short-tailed group. These sheep derive from ancient primitive breeds who have evolved to live in some of the most unforgiving landscapes. Uh, think North Ronaldsey sheep eating seaweed uh, on their shore, uh, walled off from the land. And think about Faroese sheep clinging to those perilous slopes and cliffs. The aim of the Nansville Conference is to bring together like-minded people uh, to talk of their experience and collaborate and develop a future for these breeds. The conference has travelled all over the North Atlantic region for annual events where the focus is on that area's breeds. Um, so it's probably good to get the lingo uh Right from the beginning, uh, Nanswool looks at the sheep from the Northern European short-tailed sheep group, um, which are native to the North Atlantic region. The Northern European group is quite large. I won't name all of the sheep as it might get a bit confusing. The Nanswool conference focuses on breeds uh, from Iceland, Norway, Shetland, Faroe, the Isle of Man, Ledger Hebrides, Orkney and Greenland. And the characteristics of this breed are their short, fluke-shaped tails, their dual coats, uh, they don't have wool on their faces and legs, and generally they are small sheep. Certainly some of the ones I saw in Uist you could have cheerfully put in your pocket, just about. They can be pawed, uh, but some have magnificent horns. 
Uh, some of the Northern European short-tailed breed have the ability to molt their fleeces still, which is perhaps due to their primitive ancestry. And they are incredibly agile little sheep, um, which have adapted well to grazing sparse vegetation in some of those wilder landscapes. And as we were in Uist, the focus of, of the Northern Atlantic um, sheep were Hebridean soes and borderes, definite um, emphasis put on the Hebrideans. And about 80 of us, I think, came together in Uist for this conference. Uh, some a delegation that Karen had brought over. There were lots of others there, some local people, some wool practitioners, uh, shepherds, crofters. Uh, there was a real mixed bag. This was far more than just a wool or knitting interest here. And we came together for three days, uh, two of which had talks and tours. And I'm going to go through the proceedings with you for the podcast. The theme of the conference, Hazel Smith, who's the mill manager at US Wool, she told us was tenacity, which perfectly describes these hardy little sheep and also describes the perseverance and hard work that goes into caring for them and working to champion these North Atlantic sheep and their products. The talks were held at the Yucker Hall in South Uist and day one, the topic was sheep and habitat. I haven't recorded all of the talks, uh, but I specifically wanted to capture Diana McPhee's talk. And if you listen to my earlier episodes from Use Wool, you'll know Diana uh, was the uh, manager at Use Wool, and um, she has taken on, along with Hazel, the hosting responsibilities for the Nans Wool Conference in Uist. And Diana started the talks by talking about her visits to the previous Nans Wool conferences all over the North Atlantic region and the defining features of the conference and how it's brought people together and in unusual ways. Good morning. I think that Carson. Good morning friends. Lovely to see you all here. I hope you're all settled in for three days of fun, action, chats, knitting, wool, food, drinking, company, all the good things associated with, I was getting to that one, all the things I associate with the North Atlantic Native Sheep and Wool Conference. To start, I'm Dana McPhee. I've been allowed five minutes just to give a very, very brief storyline to what brings us all here today. Obviously, we start off with the sheep. That's the connecting thing between us all. And our interest in the sheep, but not just the sheep itself, the landscape that they inhabit. My own experience certainly started up in Shetland, and it made a big impression on me. Now, that's a few years ago now, and we had many visits, particularly to the abattoir, in Shetland, and I just felt it was a very powerful suggestion to you know what we can do with local meat and the very hard work they've been doing there. And also, the first thing I was seeing was people's jumpers, the patterns, the richness of colour, and I thought this is a fantastic display 
and our lovely Jean Cooper, who can't be here today, she's fighting a good fight in Orkney for um, the cause of meat production up there, and she's there having a police. But Shetland, as I say, was a very powerful part of my experience, visiting uh, Unst, particularly one of the, the most northerly islands in Shetland, and seeing the bus shelter, and it set up this fantastic display in the middle of that very kind of open landscape they have in the north of Shetland. And I have to say, you see things like this in local heritage centres where people have put a little bit of effort into creating something that's off the place. And I think just seeing this little uh, knitted sheath and then seeing the ram in the sails, and I thought, what a good connection there is between that, that landscape, that sheath, that craft. You know, it's just a simple thing. And craft is an important thing because it's in island communities and dispersed communities, we're, you know, we look to craft tradition. That's the thing that kind of unites us really. And I often love taking photos of sheep and people and engaging with sheep in pens where people are photographing and the sheep are looking at them. And I think, what are the sheep thinking? What are they thinking? And this is in the Faroes, another massively important visit that I took part in. And the, the kind of engagement with the people who are working there, the landscape of the Faroes is so dramatic. And I love this sort of image of the cruise ship at Torshavn, where you've got that scale of the small and the large, and that international connection that the Faroes seem to have. But then we go back down and visited a small place where people were hand spinning and making things with local wool. And I just thought, that contrasted with the industrialization of wool, trying to do something today that's a commercial thing, and that's very much part of what we're trying to do here in Lewis. But it's not just about that, it's visiting landscape, it's experience of being in a very dramatic place, and that's the beauty of the conference, you get to see these beautiful dramatic sceneries. And just being there, and having the rain fall on your face, having the wind blow in your hair, and certainly doing that in Lewis, today. So, but then you have these moments of calm and I just took this lovely shot in the Lofoten Islands because when we were there the weather was stunning and I thought this is marvellous, what a beautiful place. We got out in the Viking longship, we were there with the wind in our hair and the sea spraying our faces and I think well if we can get a little bit of that into the US trip I'll be happy. But it's also not just about the wool and the knitting, it's about companionship and well, what can I say? My experience certainly with the photo was proud by the making of the blood pancakes. I spent six hours doing this, and then happily in the evening we had the eating of the blood pancakes. So it's a thing about feasting, it's a thing about enjoyment, and that's what I've tried to impart into the program here today. It's a challenge for us, it's the first time we've done it. So there will be Good points and bad points, but we're all learning and we're all discovering together. So I took this image at the end of the conference in Isle of Man last year when everyone's waving happily. So I really want everybody to be waving happily today at the end of the thing. So the one thing I'm going to add, I was given a gift yesterday by Daniel Hansen from Iceland of something called Top, how do you pronounce it? Topas? Topas. And it's a special mixture of vodka and uh, Icelandic moss. It's a liqueur, which I've been told is good for the throat. So any of the speakers feel the need to a special glass and a little nip of topaz 
fun stuff. So enjoy. <laughs> Thankfully, there was no blood pancakes in Uist. As I said, the focus of the talks on the Thursday morning uh, were sheep and habitat. And of course, Hebridean sheep were a really strong focus. Eric Medway from the Hebridean Sheep Society and Mary Claire Ferguson talked about the history of Hebrideans in the landscape in the Outer Hebrides and the need to revive the breed there. Hebrideans, of course, are small, black, multi-horned sheep. They were indigenous in the Outer Hebrides until the late 1880s, where the clearances came Scottish blackfaces and cheviots, which were more productive sheep uh, and worth more when it came to paying rents. Uh, Hebrideans were moved to Grey's Parkland to... Uh, estates in England where they became ornamental flocks largely but it wasn't until the late 1990s that Hebrideans were brought back to the Outer Hebrides and that was through the enthusiasm and interest of Donald Ferguson, Mary Claire's late husband. That was a fascinating look at the history of Hebrideans and how they are so dedicated as a society to bring the sheep back to their original landscape. And you should look at the Hebridean Sheep Society website, which I've linked to in the show notes. Also talking about Hebrideans was Meg Roger of Berlin Yarn Company, herself a shepherdess of Hebrideans uh, in Bernary at the top of North Uist. Uh, although it's very clear that there's it's definitely a family affair um, in terms of the business. Uh, it's really interesting to hear from Meg about crofting on the uninhabited islands in the Sound of Harris, the logistics of doing so and the difficulty involved. Uh, Meg and her family are one of the few crofters who still use the islands and there is strict boat legislation which makes it difficult for crofters to run a boat. However, crofting isn't always the main business or form of income. Meg's husband also runs a, a boat as a tour business and for marine research and this means that they can still croft on the islands in the Sound of Harris. There are pedigree Hebrideans lamb at their croft and then they are taking summer grazing by boat and it was so interesting to hear from Meg and how enthusiastic she is about her sheep but also how be to best employ best practices for the ecology of the land as well as animal husbandry. It was also really interesting to hear about the name Berlin. When the Vikings arrived in the Hebrides, they brought with them their longboats and their short-tailed sheep and the Hebridean people adapted their longboats, calling them Berlins. And we saw a replica Berlin at Kildonan Museum and what an incredible craft it is indeed. I will try and get a picture in the show notes for you um, of that replica. Uh, Renska Vanden Tempel is from Texel and she's keep the Dutch breed herself. And she also orchestrated an incredible phenomenon called sheep theatre. I actually had the pleasure of meeting Renska a few years ago at Shetland Wool Week when we were sat next to each other on the bus to 
Jameson's of Shetland Mill in Sanus, and I heard about her sheep theatre and how she used to do that as a, a fun way to uh, educate and entertain. She's someone who's worked with wool all of her life, and now uh, Renska runs Die Nordkroon, a company which sells lanolin-based creams. And she spoke of the issues in using locally produced lanolin, and she sp- spoke so enthusiastically about the textile breed and the wool yarns and the different colours of textile wool. Who knew? I always thought they were just white um, and the different products. Um, Texel, of course, is not in the North Atlantic, or indeed it is not a Northern European short-tail breed. But Texel is a popular sheep in Uist, um, with crofters there. So it was very interesting to hear about a breed that is important to the Outer Hebrides and to the mill. Uh, and Renska firmly believes that Texel should and could be on our wool destination maps as a wool island. And I am definitely interested to go and visit. Uh, She's extremely driven to promote Texel sheep as more than a carcass animal. Um, And that really resonated with um, a lot of us at the the conference, I think. And and she definitely told a very enthusiastic story about Texel being a wool island. The final speaker on the Thursday uh, was Daniel Hansen from Iceland, who talked about the Icelandic leadership. I had never heard of leadership before, and it was fascinating to learn about this distinctly different sheep within the Icelandic breed, a subpopulation of the breed, who stand distinct from the flock as leaders, who walk ahead of the flock. It's said that they can sense danger, that they can lead the flock away from danger, and they can even lead them home. And there was an incredible film, um, I think must have been taken by a drone, of uh, sheep being let out of a field and the leadership taking the front and leading the entire flock right into a barn. And it wasn't just, you know, across the road. It was, I, I must try and find this film for you. There can be distinct differences in colour and size and fleece from these sheep and Daniel had a cardigan made from leader sheep wool and it looked so incredibly lightweight and um, very, very fine indeed. It was really interesting, I think, to hear about this this particular subpopulation and their place within the Icelandic wool and sheep world and it was very interesting what Daniel had said about Icelandic sweaters. Um, A lot of the sweaters that you find in Iceland now are made from Icelandic wool but have been knit in China. It was just an interesting little window onto that which I don't think a lot of us appreciate. I thought it was really admirable that Daniel is so intent to protect the leadership and um, the and those gene lines and it was so enlightening and um, I do urge you to have a look at his website which is the Leadership Information Centre and I will put a link in the show notes. The talks on day two were on wool and work and uh, the Friday kicked off with Sue Blacker talking about work 
at the Natural Fibre Company and Blacker Yarns. And from Miltok in Cornwall, we went up to the Faroe Islands and a really interesting talk from Dorothea Johnson, a farmer who works with the agricultural agency in Faroe. Faroe literally means sheep island in Old Norse and the Faroese sheep wool and knitting traditions are really important to the island's history, something that I really relate to as a Shetlander. And it was very interesting to hear about the work being done to bring value to the wool and the farmers. Dorothea spoke about setting up a fleece collection across the islands and collaborating with Navia uh, to create yarns with Faroese wool. This, again, this whole conference has just increased my need to go to more woolly places and Faro is definitely next to Texel on my list of places to visit. Dorothea had some of the new Navia yarns which are in natural shades and they are brushed. They looked incredible. I urge you to have a look on the website at these yarns. They just looked and felt beautiful and I haven't quite seen that brushed look before. Someone I was delighted to see at Nan's Wool Conference was Joanna Spreadbury. I met Joanna through my non-wool job when she was doing some research, um, which was decidedly wooly. Uh, Joanna's final project in her product design degree at the University of Edinburgh explored Scottish blackface sheep and the practical and also creative uses of the entire sheep. Interested in particular in islands, Joanna was keen to investigate the resources available um, to crofting islanders and investigate what materials would have been available to them. Realising that not even Scottish blackface wool was valued much, Joanna was inspired to engage with this particular breed and its byproducts and with local people in Uist to engage with traditional making and also question its future as a material. From visiting and working at the mill in Grimsey to watching sheep being slaughtered to interacting with wool, bone and horn and using other materials like wood, brass and forging steel she has created some incredible artefacts. Uh, A sheep's hook head made with um, horn brass, steel sheep shears inset with sheep's jawbone which is polished so incredibly smoothly, Uh, a brass drop spindle with an incredible horn whirl and a hammer with a bone china head, all together in a beautiful tool roll, which was made from Scottish blackface wool that had been woven. And actually, I was really quite moved by Joanna's talk and her work, a process which seeks to totally, totally revalue traditions and revalue the entire sheep and what it can be best used for and I have linked to Joanna's website in my show notes at knitbritish.net and I urge you to go and have a look at her her website and at the design process and see these incredible items that she has made. From sheep to cloth, 
with the next speaker, Nettie Zapata, owner of Diggory Brown, a kilt making and design business from Ness in Lewis. Nettie is also a farmer of Hebridean sheep and is passionate about woven cloth and the particular woven cloth that Hebridean wool creates. She works with local weavers to create cloth for her design business for which she uh, creates bespoke pieces such as kilts and an incredible item called the Diggory Duffel. Um, there were uh, some of these pieces at the conference and that black Hebridean kilt was just stunning but I loved this this duffel coat, this um, item which was born out of a challenge to have zero waste um, from pattern cutting. Incredible outerwear, beautiful hooded pieces, at the same time a bit utilitarian but totally tailored and comfort comfortable looking and I will try and pop a picture in the show notes. I think of tweed as such an investment fabric, items to last a lifetime and with Nettie's designs which combine traditional hand tailoring with that contemporary and very bespoke look. Oh my word. And uh, yes, I think a Diggory Brown kilt um, has to be on my wish list (laughs) for sure. There was another Lewis uh, resident with us on the Friday, uh, Donald McSween or Sweeney. He is uh, a full-time crofter, also from Ness, uh, as well as being a full-time crofter of 600 hens, 150 breeding yows, uh, cattle and pigs. He sells eggs, meat and wool products and creates a BBC Alba documentary, uh, Anne Lot, which is the croft, as well. Um, his main sheep breeds have been Cheviot and Scottish Blackface, but he has been diversified by bringing Hebrideans and Shetland sheep um, to bring up the value of his wool clip and also of the meat. And it was really interesting. Having listened to my Claire and Eric on day one talking about the importance of bringing back Hebridean sheep to the original landscape, and then hearing that... Um, Given some of the comments that Sweeney has had, they are still there's still a little bit of a feeling that they're a bit fancy and a little bit misunderstood. Um, so you know, really interesting. And hats off to him for being enterprising and going with his gut on that. And um, he has recently been awarded Young Crofter of the Year. So well done, congratulations. The other speaker, the last speaker at the event, was me. And my talk was uh, Local Wool Be The Change, which was an introduction to me and this podcast, which I don't need to tell you about. Um, I also spoke about the importance of joining up voices to make changes for the local wool world. Again, nothing desperately new there um, for regular listeners, but I have had a few more thoughts on this. um, And I think it has been through the process of looking back on five plus years of Knitting British. I will share some of these thoughts with you at some point soon. My talk, sort of spookily and unknown to me, joined up with much of what the other speakers had talked about. We all use words and imagery which spoke of the importance of the wool journey, 
of the right storytelling for wool, the need for knowledge and skill sharing, and for more opportunities and access to achieve more for wool and sheep, including meat. I did have someone ask me if I was going to talk about sheep meat in this episode, and it wasn't in an interested way, it was in a wary sort of a way. And I'll tell you the same thing that I told them and that I've probably said before on this podcast. You may wish to separate wool from meat and believe that sheep are best suited to growing wool. But the reality is that wool makes very little money for the farmer or the crofter. When we say that it's important to know where our wool has come from, we just cannot neglect that meat is part of that journey, it needs saying. I believe we need more whole sheep, whole story discussions because I do think there is an ignorance on this subject. You may prefer not to think about it while you're knitting with the wool, but you can't neglect that it's there altogether and that it is an issue. No, I won't have a regular lamb or mutton recipe on the show, no matter how much I'd actually like to. I will always talk about the importance of meat, particularly when it comes to rare breeds. And I won't apologise for that. And I think something like this Nan's Wool Conference is such an important platform to, to talk about the whole sheep focus. And again, into that comes that education and that ongoing need for information and need to learn more. I said in my talk, I really don't like the term expert being applied to knowledge about about wool and certainly not this podcast because I really believe that you can never be an expert in something when there is always so much more to learn and know And it's important that we go on that journey together, that we learn as much as we can together. Because what what we do here, our wool exploration, that is an important part of wool's story. It's an important part of sharing experiences of wool. And it can take a place in much bigger discussions about wool and breeds and, and things like that. And so I really do feel that much more needs to be done on a collective level. We've come from a place in history where British wool, the industry, has been an old boys network. The small wool world needs unity, it needs openness, it needs discussion, and we need more people. And and again, this conference was so eye-opening and it was so interesting. And again, I do hope that there's more chance for wider discussion uh, to create the connections that the wool world needs and deserves. And it was wonderful uh, that, the, as I said before, there were attendees from all backgrounds, farmers, crofters, wool workers, designers, small business owners. It was fantastic. And it felt buoying to be with that wide in- interest group and, and very important, very important. And whilst... Karen did say in her um, own talk that she thought this would be the last North Atlantic Sheep and Wool Conference because Greenland is the only other place that they wish to go to and that's quite hard to get to. I I do think that there could be more 
there's the whole rest of the Northern European um, breed to look at and lots of other places to visit. Of course, there weren't just important talks. There was wool and lots of opportunity to visit important places and people. Each day after the talks we would get on two buses, one went north and one went south and the next day we switched around. So on the Thursday uh, I was on a bus that went to uh, the south and the first place we visited was the Hebridean Jewellery Workshop. This is an employee owned company, they have three shops in the Hebrides and it was lovely to get a tour of the US shop and a little flavour of what they do there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hebridean Jewellery. Hebridean Jewellery was established in 1974 by John Hart. And in 2011, John took early retirement and sold the company to the employees. So it's a staff cooperative. So I'll take you through the process. The bench here at the back is where John started. And as you can see with the inspirational views of the Hebrides, it's absolutely it's a magical, magical place to be. The environment is used in a lot of our designs. The only process that we don't do here is the casting process, but we make the masters. As you can see, there's a wee heart here, and it's been cut out. This was for a commission. Uh, a couple wanted a ruby set into the heart, so we pa pass the heart round as well. There's also... This is how the rings start out as a, a, just a blank piece of silver. And then you can see here, we have the, the engraving cut out in Gaelic and we use the Gaelic language within our products. That's the Magul Lost. It's my love on you. It's one of our top selling uh, uh, rings. And as I say, that's the, the, the blank and how it starts out. From there, we took a very short trip to see Martin and Jan Jimison and their Hebridean flock and Hector the bull. We loved Hector the bull and loved these Hebridean guys. Oh my word, diminutive, beautiful in their coats, black but greying, just a, a look of velvet about them. It was really interesting to hear um, about the Hebridean sheep and to see them up close and it was also really interesting to hear about the crofting systems put in place in US to support the corn crake and how that impacts on grazing the land with the sheep. The RSPB have been working with US crofters since the 1990s to modify agricultural processes which were impacting on the habitat of the corn crake. Corn crakes are hardly ever seen, but they can be heard in the summer months if you live in the Western Isles or the Northern Isles, and they nest in long grass and they are very vulnerable to mowing. And um, crofters were offered conservation payments to delay harvest and allow the chicks to be born and fledge. And um, over the past 20 years, corn crake numbers have recovered through schemes uh, like the one that Martin and Jan participate with. And here is a little bit of audio, although it was very windy. 
And this, the field Hector's in now, and the field beyond, I don't graze in summer because they're set aside for the corn crakes. And we, we have three calling male corn crakes on the croft every summer. Corn crakes then fly off to Africa for the winter. So they come back in April, and about now they're going back to Africa. So I, I can now start to graze these fields again because the corn crakes are bred in them. But that's, the salt, that, that's why we have the stock we have. If we can make any money back from selling fleeces and meat, that's a bonus. That's a bonus. The important thing for me is that they manage the land well. And as we heard this from the talks this morning, uh, that the, the native sheep, the Hebridean sheep, and also the Galloway cattle are good at conservation grazing. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they eat the rougher stuff as well. They don't just pick out yeah. the nice bits, they mm, eat everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now the corn cricks have gone, uh, the sheep and the cows will go into these fields now over winter and graze them right down again. Mm. If you don't graze them, what happens? The, the vegetation becomes very rank and very dense, yeah. and it's yeah. no good for the corn cricks then. Uh, corn crake is a bird mm-hmm. that hides. The way it survives is it just hides. Is the corn crake here now calling? We wouldn't see it. Okay, it'd be in the grass and you wouldn't find it. In the afternoon, we visited Kildoran Museum and saw the replica Berlin Longboat and visited the exhibition briefly. Uh, It was lovely to see some of the work of the silent weaver Angus McPhee. And if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. Um, It's called The Silent Weaver. It's by Roger Hutchison. After Kildonan, we visited Eriskay and it was such a thrill to meet two ladies who I'm afraid I didn't take their names, which is dreadful, I know, um, but they showed us the incredible tradition of the Eriskay Gansey. You will remember I've spoken about this incredible, elaborate design in the podcast before and I will put a link to that in the show notes. It was beautiful to see Eriskay Gansey's close up and hear a little bit about the tradition that really there are only a few people in Eriskay now who knit the pattern. Uh, and after uh, that we visited uh, the Hebridean wool shed and then myself and my party of pals walked to the Parker Inn for dinner uh, taking the chance to blow the cobwebs away. I was very very lucky to be at this conference with some great women. Uh, Lilith Green, Old Maiden Aunt, Jules Billings, Woolen Flower, the Jenny Reed, photographer, woolly photographer extraordinaire, and Rachel Atkinson, daughter of a shepherd, as well as uh, Tanya Ashton, TJ Frog. It was, it was just lovely to spend time with them on this trip. Uh, quite often, we only ever get to see each other in the passing at shows, and most of those people are vending, and it's very difficult just to get five minutes to have a chat. And it was lovely to spend three days in their company. It really was. On day two, our first stop was Uist Wool, and I was itching to go back here after my visit last year. And myself and my fellow conference goers were keen to get our hands in that yarn and part with some of our money. Um, There was, of course, an amazing conference yarn called Tuath, a blend of 10 Northern European short-tail breed sheep, Hebridean, Soe, Borderay, Shetland, North Ronaldsey, Manx, Gotland, Icelandic, Faroese and Vilsau, uh, which created a beautiful grey-bronze double-knit uh, with all of the best characteristics of those breeds, soft but hardy. And sadly, this yarn was all snapped up 
Uh, and I'm very glad to say that some of it came home uh, with me and also used wool were very kind in giving some away as a prize in the nature shades long and that yarn has winged its way to Garnqvist in Sweden. Um, we also visited the community cafe in Grimsey just next to Use Wool and this is a cafe and it is the post office and it is a fantastic little exhibition space and a small archive. All of the things that made my heart sing. Uh, what was wonderful was I got we got to see Joanna Spreadbury's uh, items that she'd made uh, for her product design course and I took some pictures of those so I'll pop those up on the show notes. Uh, lovely to see those items up close and she was very keen for people to pick them up and touch them and interact with them which doesn't often happen with uh, exhibition items. Um, we also visited the RSPB Nature Reserve and Beach at Baldranald which is another key site for corn crate recovery um, and the RSPB as I said works with crofters encouraging late hay cutting to keep areas uh, suitable for corn crate breeding and for other wading birds too. The beach was particularly lovely and I could have stayed there for a long long time looking for cowrie shells and listening to the birds uh, it was a bit windy. I did record a bit of audio, but it was a bit, it was a little bit windy. After that, we drove all the way up to Bernary to visit Andrew Ross and his Soe sheep. Beautiful little sheep. Quite a new purchase for him. They were incredibly skittish and um, didn't want to stay too long, although they were lured by the shaking of the sheep nuts bag. But just beautiful sheep and so lovely to see them there uh, in that landscape. Uh, sadly, I missed the Saturday excursion to Lewis and Harris due to a migraine. But when I felt a bit better, I took a walk to Kula Bay, which was just a very short walk from Nunton Hostel, where I stayed. And it was a, it's a beautiful big sweep um, of a beach and I loved standing on the beach and thinking that the next stop um, out to sea was America. Again, this was an incredible conference and it held together all the warp threads important to sheep, meat, wool and place and the weft were all the incredible people involved who are just doing what they can to champion these incredible breeds. I'm talking about weaving. Uh, one of the participants of the conference, Gillian Thomas, uh, I saw her uh, quite a lot during the first day of the conference. I kept thinking she had her hand up, but actually she was spinning with a drop spindle. And on the second day, she brought in this incredible piece of weaving. And here she is to tell you all about it. I'm Gillian Thomas. I'm originally from Lancashire in the north of England, but I live down in South Wales now. And a few years ago, I bought some Hebridean fleece from a local flock because he was going to burn them. Otherwise, there was no use for the fleece. And then I came to the conference on the Isle of Man last year, and I saw all the other beautiful wools. So um, I learned to do tablet weaving, like the Vikings would have done 
the Viking sheep and I've got an upright loom, uh-huh. weighted loom, and I've woven the blanket from as many of the Viking sheep as I can find. And now I've got some more, so there will be another blanket with the other Viking That's sheep. That's incredible. So do you want so. to explain, uh, describe it a little bit, seeing as we're audio? Yeah. Um, so I, I had um, a cone of herdwick, which is from the north of England, I intended to use as warp, and that's just mid-grey, uh-huh. so it would have tied the colours together. But it wasn't strong enough to use as warp, so I bought um, knitting yarn. I had knitting yarn. Um woven in Cambrian wools so it's all Welsh wool Welsh in, in different uh, different breeds and different different colours to reflect the landscape and it's not a good idea to use a knitting yarn for a warp because it can stretch but it was all I had and I had promised to do a demonstration so um, I warped it with this and then all the weft is spun on my drop spindle and plied so, so you spun all of the weft? All the weft is, is hand spun on a drop spindle. At things like this I sit and spin and at uh, demonstrations with my Guild of Weaver Spinners and Dyers or in Viking reenactment I'm spinning all day so you have to use the yarn. Um, and what a wonderful way to do it. Well I just wanted people here to see this is what came from the conference last year. It's, it's, it's wonderful, all the, um, it's such a fantastic flag to fly for for, for I thought of it as a flag, but yes, a yeah, flag, a blanket, a sail for a Viking it, boat. It's or a flag for local rule, it's a flag for North Atlantic, Yes, it's a flag for this conference. It's, it's a flag inc- for learning to do things and make things with and your own hands. it's a flag for your incredible value as a mm. weaver. And, and thank you. It's wonderful, it's, it's beautiful. And can I you. ask you about your amazing sweater? Oh, my husband went on a TV quiz show and won some flights and won some money and the quiz master asked him what will you do with the money and he said take my wife to see the northern lights so we went to Reykjavik for my birthday last year and I went in every wool shop so this is Icelandic um, Protolope there's very little twist in yes. it and the gentleman yesterday said if you buy a jumper in Iceland make sure it isn't knitted in China so mine was knitted in Wales but it <laughs> is from Iceland as well it's gorgeous so. and did you design the yoke pattern yourself? no, at conference last year um, we should have met Joanna from Iceland and um, she, I signed to do the knitting class with her um, but unfortunately um, she, she wasn't able to come but she sent all the materials and there was a pattern book for this yarn so it's from the pattern book so this is last year's conference jumper so it's and another flag and another flag <laughs> <laughs> and if I can ask you this is a difficult question mm-hmm. but did you have a favourite of the North Atlantic sheep's wool that you've used in your blanket? I, I like my Hebridean because I, I know the farmer and I've stroked the sheep and, and I have lots of Hebridean wool now so it will be if my spinning is good enough, it will be the warp for the next blanket. So, but I, each one I see, each sheep I see is my favourite sheep, and I have my own cats. But I met a cat at the airport, and he was my favourite cat while I was at the airport. So, you don't just have to have one. You don't have to have one. No. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing your next thank blanket you. at the next conference, and thank you very much. What a flag to fly indeed. And I really hope that there is another Nanswool conference or something very similar built uh, on the importance of 
uh, coming together like this. I would like to thank Dana McPhee and Hazel Smith at USWool for this great conference and for asking me to speak and for looking after me and every single person at that conference so well for filling all of the short time that we had in UIST so fully um, and introducing us to incredible people, to incredible businesses and showing us all of the beauty of the Outer Hebrides. While the Tooth Conference Yarn is sold out, I do hope that you will have a look at usedwool.com and have a look at the incredible yarns that they make there, which are 90% the fleece comes from the Outer Hebrides. A really, really important business. And I will leave you till next time with um, a little bit of a recording from the wool shed uh, at Uist Wool and uh, here you'll hear Hazel talking a little bit about the process but mostly you just hear myself, Jenny Reed, Jules Billings, Lilith Green and Rachel Atkinson huffing fleece. <laughs> the podcast will be back later in November until then, take good care. Bye for now. Strong little crimp on it, yeah. isn't it? A bit like a bit like a Coradale crimp. That's beautiful. Nice and strong. Yeah. Yeah. The tunes on it. So the tube here that you have been there, very similar staple, very similar fiber quality. Um, so again, it suits our machinery beautifully. Our machines love medium fiber. Long fiber tends to get wrapped and short. Long fiber is really problematic for our machines. Short fiber tends not to go through the carding as well. It's quite a lot. And these, these issues have got um, thick and thin then you're long and short together even, you're going to get breaks and weaknesses in the yarn. So the, the stronger the yarn is based on the matching the fibre lengths as best you can. So standard and repeatable blends will be cheaper and sparkless because it's very consistent for us and because we have good stocks and supplies of it. Big sheep, big fleeces, really tightly packed so you get a lot of warmth from them. Um, and what you've got, I would say, was an M2. You can feel that it's not quite as nice quality as that sparkless that came round. There's not too much grease in it. It probably wasn't as healthy an animal, maybe a little bit older. So it's, it's, it's reasonable quality um, and it will still make a really good yarn. Mm. Uh, now I'm going to pass around. I just passed it around yesterday and everybody snaffled it. A little handful of the Hebridean. Oh, I love that. Yeah, the gingery. It's like a, uh, when you get that on a mood, it's just on that. Those just pop. Yeah, absolutely. So beautiful, isn't it? They're going to check your pockets. I know. I It's incredible. We're lucky, lucky, lucky. Put this in the pocket. This is a beautiful colour. I know. It's nice. It's different from usual. Oh, so nice.